Right, turn to Proverbs chapter thir- 23. 23. And if you didn't realize, we're actually in a series uh, on Proverbs. And uh, once again, I will invite you guys to forward me any uh, YouTube links that you might know out there of, of, of teenagers, students your age doing really stupid things. So I can show them up here on the screen as evidence of... Uh, of, of youthful um, lack of wisdom. So um, every week we're trying to uh, put before you this, this verse at the beginning of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And uh, this is the framework that the whole book is based on. We've talked about this many times the last few weeks. We've said that um, this first verse, go ahead to the next slide, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1. Um, this verse is the frame in which the whole book should be viewed. And it's this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The main reason why I want to put that up there every week is to remind you that whatever we talk about today, today is not about behavior change. It is about heart change that should lead to behavior change. I would even say it this way, that if your behavior never changes, it might mean that your heart hasn't changed. And your heart can only change through a divine intervention, through a divine miracle. And so, um, unless someone comes before Christ and submits their life to Christ, surrenders their life to Him, they believe the gospel. That is how someone's life changes, how their heart changes, and then behavior changes follows from that. So I don't want you to get these uh, proverbs mixed up here and think that, okay, this talk was on anger. Okay, don't be angry. This talk was on envy. Don't be envious. That's not the point. The point is let God change your heart. That will lead to some of these behavior things we're talking about. Okay, so... Uh, today we're going to talk about the um, topic of envy, topic of envy. Now, when you hear the word envy, how would you guys define the word envy? Just shout out some responses. How would you guys define that for me? Greed, okay. How would you define envy? Jealousy, what's that? Okay, wanting what someone else has, a good way of saying it. Uh, what's that? Desire. Okay, so it, we, we might define, would you say envy and coveting sound similar, right? But I would differentiate this way. I would say that coveting is wanting things. Envy is wanting someone else's life, okay? Where we covet things, we envy other people. Does that make sense? It's a little bit different, a little bit nuanced, but um, very similar, but a little bit different. So envy is to want someone else's life. Now look at uh, chapter 23 of Proverbs. We're going to look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 23. Go ahead and turn there if you can. And here's what it says. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So let your heart let not your heart envy sinners. Do you ever find yourself envying people who do wicked, evil things? Recently, I read a story on, on the internet of a um, bank robbery in Brazil. This happened like seven years ago. August 6, 2005. A large city in Brazil. Uh, these guys set up shop in a house across the street from a bank, a very large bank in one of the downtown sections of the city. And they began to... Uh, dig a hole underneath the house they were in. They went under the street, 260 feet. I have a picture of this tunnel for you to look at. 
go to the next slide. This is the tunnel, and they dug for almost the length of a football field. They came up through the, the vault of the bank, right? And they had to go through like six feet of reinforced steel and concrete to get into the bank's vault. So what they, their plan was, for three months, they dug under the house, under the street, just right on the underbelly of this bank vault. Then when Friday rolled around, everyone leaves early because it's Friday, right? They decide they're going to cut through the vault and spend the entire weekend just emptying the vault of its money. Just carrying out in like sack loads, right? And they emptied this vault of $94 million. There were three and a half tons. That's 7,000 pounds of money carried out of this bank in a weekend, right? I mean, just brilliant. You're like, why didn't I think of that, right? So really high tech. I mean, really high tech. And these guys uh, um, made off with $94 million. Now, 7,000 pounds of money. Can you just picture that, like what that would look like? 7,000 pounds of money. I think if you took all of my money like, and put it all in one little deal, it would be like a pound, right? And that's like with pennies, okay? So 7,000 pounds of, of money they pull out of this bank vault, spent the entire weekend. The people who work at the bank don't even realize it until Monday morning, Okay? They got around all the detection, surveillance, because they're in the vault under the ground. So, so this happens. These guys uh, get $94 million, weighing 3.5 tons, and they run away, and you have to go to school next week. That's your life, right? You've got to go to school. You've got to go to work. And so how do you feel when sinners get away with sin? How do you feel when people who are evil and wicked sort of get off scot-free. How do you feel when the evil prosper while the righteous suffer? How does that make you feel towards God, towards the world that you live in? Does it make you angry? Does it make you bitter towards God to hear stories like that? And so there's two ways we envy. I want you to write this down. There's two ways that we envy primarily, and the first one is this, envying unbelievers. This is what this verse is talking about. There are ways that we envy people who our sin, people who sin, there are ways that we envy people who commit crimes, um, who live unrighteously, live unpurely, and, and we envy on some level their situation, do we not? We find ways of envying unbelievers. The second way that we envy, that's not really described in this passage, but we still envy in the same way, and it's envying other believers. We also tend to envy believers. Here's how we do that. Somebody's better than us at something, we envy their life. They're more popular. It's not a bad thing. They're not sinning, but we envy that part of their life. They're better than us at a certain sport. We envy the recognition that they get from that part of their life. They're better looking than we are according to society's standards, so we envy that part of their life. So as believers, we have a temptation to envy sinners, the wicked, unbelievers, but also a temptation to envy believers, people that are just like us. They're not sinning in any way, but they're, we still envy parts of their life. Here's an envy test that I want to give you. When you see someone else fail, how do you feel? When you see someone else 
fail, do, do you feel a sense of comfort about that? Like when you see someone else fall flat on their face, not literally, or maybe it is literally, but uh, you see them fall flat on their face in life, do you feel some sense of comfort about that? Even, listen to this, even some people that you like, right, you still feel a sense of, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that happened to them because they need to be kind of brought down a little bit, right? And so do you, do you feel a sense of comfort when something like that happens to someone? One writer said, defined envy this way. He said, envy is being unhappy at other people's happiness. Or, flip it around, envy is being happy at other people's unhappiness. So when other people are happy, they're joyful, they're rejoicing over something that's good, that makes you in despair. That makes you kind of depressed because you're like, well, that didn't happen to me. That's an envy test for you. Or what about this one? If, if someone else is unhappy, if someone else, something bad happens to them, that makes you somewhat joyful and somewhat comforted. Like, you're not, you're not going to say it. You're not going to be like, when someone says, yeah, I got an F on my paper, you're like, good, right? Like, you're not going to say it to them out loud, but you're going you're gonna to feel a sense of like, yeah, it's about time, valedictorian, that you had an F on your paper, Right? So you, you feel a sense of comfort about some of these kinds of things. You like it when people fail. You like that. So go ahead and do your first four questions at your tables. Your first four questions, go ahead and discuss. All right, do you guys need more time? More time. No. Okay. All right, look back with me at chapter 23, verses 17 and 18. Look back with me at that passage. We're going to go through this passage, then we're going to jump over to Psalms in a minute, so just stay with me. So look back at 23, uh, verses uh, 17 and 18. I'll read it once again. It says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Notice he says, Let not your heart envy sinners. Envy is one of the most difficult sins, I think, to admit to ourselves, is it not? And so sometimes envy is taking place like a cancer within the heart, within your soul. You're not going to admit it even to yourself because to admit that you envy someone else is to admit that you're less than on some level. It's to admit that I, I lack in some area of my life. And so you don't go around talking about ways in which you envy people, do you? You don't admit it in those ways but it comes out in other ways because it's like a cancer literally eating away at your soul. I think this is why he is focusing on the heart, saying, let not your heart envy sinners. Last uh, week, we went to New York City. The the whole staff at TBC went to New York City for a conference, and uh, our wives came with us. So um, it was a great week. But I will say to you that anybody here been to New York City before, like downtown Manhattan, the whole deal? Um, that is one place where if you just walk through for a week, that whole area, you will find your heart welling up with some level of envy. Now, you, you justify it by saying, I'd never want to live here, right? Because it's crazy. But then you also envy money. You envy stuff. You look at these high price apartment buildings and just go, man, that'd be an, an incredible apartment to have at the top of this building overlooking Central Park and you know, you start to envy what you see. You see amazing cars going down the street, not taxi cabs, but you see, like, nice cars going down the street. 
And so it, it's a place where I think envy runs rampant. It runs rampant here as well. But you go to a place like that, and you find your heart literally welling up with some level of envy. But we find ways of explaining away, saying things like, I never want to live here, right? But deep down, you find yourself getting caught up in that. So the question is, why do we envy sinners? Why would an unbeliever envy someone who is a sinner? I want you to see this verse. I think what he's saying in this verse is that you envy sinners. You're tempted that direction because of this one thing. You don't see the full picture. You don't see the complete picture. All you see is the present circumstance. All you see is the here and now. So let me give you an example of this. All you see is them at a party having fun, and you're at home. All you see is them in a relationship, and you're alone. All you see is them with lots of friends, and you don't have any, or maybe one, right? Don't make it sound too drastic here, right? Or maybe um, maybe you, you see them with lots and lots of money, and you don't have very much at all. And so all you see in that moment is, is this one little corner of the picture. You don't see the full picture. All you see is the present moment, the present circumstance. But this verse shows us, it says, it says, surely there is a future. Verse 18, surely there is a future. There's a future for them. And there's a future for those who follow Christ, as those who fear God. There's a future. And so this is the full picture. If you take a step back, you see the full picture, and you understand that there is a future. This person's on a pathway that's going to lead to destruction. This person has a future, and it is not good. It is destructive. Someone who fears God has a future that looks very different from someone who's on that pathway. And so if the question is, how do we get rid of envy? This verse tells us. Look, look what it says. It says, continue in the fear of the Lord. How do you get rid of envy? It says, continue to fear, to fear God. Every person in this room fears either God or you fear man. There is no way to walk through life without fearing God or fearing man. If you, if you live as a, as, as a person who fears man, then you will arrange your life in such a way that reflects your fear of man. But if you're someone who fears God, you will arrange your life in such a way that it reflects your fear of God. It is impossible to walk through life and not fear someone. It's either God or it's man. So the way to, to combat envy here is to say, stay focused. You stay focused on fearing God. You stay focused on your relationship with Jesus you stay focused on your fear of the Savior, your fear of God, and envy tends to evaporate. I want you to flip over to Psalm chapter 73. It's actually flip back the other direction towards Genesis. So it goes Psalms, Proverbs, right? So flip, turn left is what I'm trying to say. Psalm 73. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage And we're going to start just in verse uh, 1 through 3. And this passage was not written by David, just so you know, but it's someone else. So his name is Asaph. 
I mean, I've never heard of him, but Psalm 73, verses 1 to 3, it says this. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So why is he envious? He's envious because he sees the, the wicked, he sees their prosperity. He sees what they have, what he doesn't have, and he becomes envious of them. And then that envy leads to something. It leads to, it says here, it says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I think for you guys, one of the toughest places to be, one of the most difficult circumstances to follow Christ in, is when you see believers suffering and you see unbelievers prospering. That is when it is the most difficult part of your life to follow through on your faith and to follow after Christ. This is when you will face your greatest temptation, especially when you get to college, if not already now. When, when you see unbelievers prospering in their relationships, their, their fun, their money, that is when you are going to face your greatest temptation. When you feel like your life lacks something that their life has, that's the moment where you are tempted. Your feet might stumble. Your steps might nearly slip like he describes here. And I would venture a guess that, that some of you in the room right now, you are right on the edge. You are seeing this play out in your life right now, and you are right on, you're walking that line. You're right on that edge because you are envying the wicked, and your feet are about to slip off. But I love his honesty here because he says, my feet almost slipped. I almost went over the edge. I almost walked over. Look down, skip down to verse 13. He says, I love his honesty. This is a great, great, honest passage. Verse 13, he says, he says, all in vain. I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Now he's getting really transparent and honest. He's saying, why am I doing this? Why am I living pure? Why am I following after God? Why am I doing what he says I should do? Because as far as I see it, it's all in vain. What's the point? Why am I living pure? It's not giving him any immediate satisfaction. It's not giving him any immediate benefit. Why am I doing this? This is just a big waste of time. This is pointless. What in the world am I wasting my time on this for? Do you guys ever feel this way about your walk with Christ? Do you ever feel like, what is the point? This just totally feels like it's in vain. Why am I living pure in my relationships? Why am I uh, choosing not to do certain things? What is the point? This is giving me no benefit in the here and now. And I think sometimes following Christ does feel this way. It feels completely pointless. You might be asking yourself, why, why am I living this way? This leads to a lack of friends. It leads to loneliness. It leads to being alone in many areas of life. Why am I wasting my time doing this? I would say for me, uh, I saw this play out when I was in college. It seemed like everyone I knew at that point was um, either in a relationship heading towards marriage or they were like even in a sinful relationship in college. And there was a part of me that just felt like, you know what, I'm kind of done with this whole like living pure thing. I'm kind of done with this whole like doing it the way God says because I'm just alone. 
I'm lonely. What's the point of doing it? Why am I living this way when I don't get any benefit in the immediate from it right now? What, what's the point of doing this? And I would say there were times where I felt like my feet were about to slip. I was about to walk over the edge, and by, by God's grace, he spared me from that in some areas. But I was there. I was there. It felt like the whole thing was in vain. The whole thing was in vain. Some of you guys, I think, you, you think this way. You think, I'm doing things the right way, and I'm alone. But others are doing things the wrong way, and they're not. And when you look at your life on the surface, you think, what is the point? Why am I doing this? This leads to loneliness and just isolation. What is the point of me living in this way? So the question is, what do you do? What do you do when you're in this place, like in this place of bitterness like he describes here in this honest passage? I want you to watch this. Look at verse 16 and 17. This part of the passage, I love it. It's so profound. Look down with me in, in verse 16. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, understand what? He's talking about how do I make sense of why the wicked prosper and the believer suffers? How do I make sense of all this? How do I understand this? He says, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And it is, right? It's burdensome, wearisome to try to make sense of all that and try to put it in perspective and to see it clearly. Watch this next part of the passage. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. So he's in this place of he's jaded, he's cynical, he's confused, he's frustrated, just like many of you are today. And what he is saying is that he entered into the sanctuary of God. And at that moment, things became clear to him. At that moment, things were in perspective. In that moment, things made sense. What he is saying is that when we, when we worship, when you approach God, surrender to him, you worship him, you submit your life to him, you see things more clearly. You see, you see things in perspective. You see things as they really are. You see the full picture. If I were to show you a picture on my iPhone of, of something, and I show you just a corner of that picture, you would say, I can't make out what that is. But if I were to remove my hand and, and, and you were to back up and you were to see the full thing for what it is, it would make sense as to what's in that picture. The same is true of life. That many of us, in that moment, all you see is the present circumstance. All you see is the here and the now. All you see is life as it is today. And you don't have perspective on the full picture. You can't see the full picture. But when you enter into his presence, the sanctuary, whenever you enter into worship of him, this is when things become clear. This is when things get made right. This is when things look the most true and the most real. When you come into his presence... And so you can't think clearly. You can't see clearly unless you enter into his presence. And so here's the question. When you find yourself envying some other people, what do you do? Where do you turn? 
I think if you cry out to him in prayer, you saturate your life with Scripture, you keep gathering with other believers, envy will evaporate. If you expose yourself to those kinds of environments and submit your heart to him, envy will evaporate. I think here's where some of you, I think, get it wrong. Many of you approach God this way. You refuse to worship until things make sense. You refuse to worship him until things make sense. You say, okay, God, make things make sense first, then I'll worship you. But here in this passage, we see the exact opposite is true. We see this this person, worship leads to understanding. Worship leads to things making sense. Worship puts things in perspective. That is the main truth I think he's trying to communicate here. This past Wednesday, we watched a a powerful video called Love Cost Everything, and it was about the church overseas. It was about persecution and what uh, Christians are experiencing overseas with uh, their faith, and just some some heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching stories of, of the church overseas. And one thing stuck out to me with this video is that their circumstances made no sense from an outsider's perspective. Their circumstances looked horrific in many cases. But they worshipped. In spite of what their circumstances were, they worshipped God. They worshipped. And I'm sure that for many of them, the act of worshipping leads them into understanding. It's not that they sit there and go, okay, God, make sense of all this, then I'll worship you. It is, no, I'm going to worship no matter what, because he is true, he is God. And then in the middle of that, that's when their circumstances have clarity. That's when their life takes on new meaning, new purpose. So I want to ask you a question. Who's better off? Is it the guys and girls in that video we watched last Wednesday that are taking a beating for Jesus overseas? Who's better off? Is it that person or is it the guy counting his money in the palace? Who's better off? Who's better off? Is it, is it the person who's suffering for, for Christ and seems to not be able to make sense of any of it? Or is it the person who seems to have a great, luxurious, pleasure-filled life? Who's better off? If the Bible is true, then the believer on his worst day, the believer on the day that he is taking a beating for Jesus, that guy is better off than the unbeliever on his best day. The unbeliever on his most incredible day is worse off than the believer who's taking a beating for Jesus. Do you you believe that? Do you believe that your present circumstances are not the full picture? It's not the clear picture yet. It's not the full picture. There is a future. There is a future, and it involves hope. And so this morning, what I want to do is a little bit different to close out. We're going to have discussion at the very end, but before we do discussion, I want you to spend some time just meditating on this next scripture. And so I'm going to ask Andrew to come up here on the stage and just kind of play uh, quietly with the guitar while you guys just think through this scripture and, and, and pray silently at your tables about this next uh, passage of scripture. And then once um, I pray to close that part out, um, you guys can do your last few questions at your tables in a moment, but uh, go ahead and close your eyes for just a moment and just just think for a moment 
about uh, the people that you might envy. Think for a moment about the way that you see God in the midst of that envy. And I want to read to you just this last part of this passage. This is Psalm 73, verses 21. Just keep your eyes closed and just think and and hear what God might want to say to you about this. The writer says, When my soul was embittered, have you been bitter towards God? Have you been bitter towards Him that He, your life doesn't look like you want it? That things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And so you feel embittered towards Him. He says, When I was pricked in my heart, He says, I was brutish and ignorant. He says, I was like a beast towards you. Have you ever shaken your fist at God? Have you ever shaken your fist at him in your bitterness, in your heart of hearts, felt that way towards him because of of your life circumstances? And in verse 23, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. This is the man speaking to God. I am continually with you. He says, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He's painting a picture that I think depicts God's grace. He is saying that in the middle of me being a beast towards God, shaking my fist at God in my bitterness, in the middle of all that, God remains with him. God remains right there walking alongside him in his bitterness, in his shaking his fist towards God. He says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Can you say that about God? Can you say that your heart's desire is is God himself and not just better circumstances? Can you say honestly that that you realize in your suffering, have you come to realize through your suffering that God should be your end all? That God should be your everything? That your circumstances might be difficult? But in the midst of that, it should point you to where your true joy is found, and it's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in a surrendered, submitted relationship to him. Can you say that about your life? There is nothing on earth that you desire besides him. Nothing. My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So even in his failure, he's saying, God is the strength of his heart. God is the strength in his portion. And so I want you to sit there for just a minute. Keep your eyes closed. Just think. I want you to meditate on the words you just heard. And I want you to think about 
Who is the person? Who are the people that you envy? And what are some of the heart issues behind that envy? Because it's not just envy. There is some idolatry going on there. There is something that you think God owes you, and you feel like he's not giving you that. And so you have been bitter towards him. You have been a beast towards him. You've shaken your fist at God because you feel like you deserve and he's not giving what's rightfully yours. And it's led to a lot of lack of joy. It's led to a lot of dry spirituality. And to spend the next few seconds just kind of confessing that to him. keep your eyes closed. My hope this morning is that you would you would get this idea that when you enter into his, sanctu- his, his sanctuary in worship, when you enter his presence, that things become more clear. You may not get answers, but you get him. You may not get the clarity that you want in hard answers, but you get him. You get more of him. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have that kind of relationship with us where when we come into your presence, when we come and seek you through your word, through prayer, through community, that it's in those places that things tend to take on clarity and and purpose and meaning. Life makes more sense when we see it through your eyes and not our own eyes. And I pray that um, that would be what we take away this morning from this passage. God, we thank you for the honesty. We thank you for what this person has written for us to read today that is so relevant and so powerful to us today. We thank you so much for that. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I want you guys to finish out and just with some discussion with your last few questions. When you guys are done, you guys can pray for your tables when you're finished. Go ahead and discuss.